The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show. On Relevant Radio. Donald Trump has won the New Hampshire primary, and that has put him on an apparent glide path to the Republican nomination. You know, we won New Hampshire three times now. Three. three. We win it every time. We win the primary. We win the generals. We've won it, and it's a very, very special place to me. It's very important. And just a little note to Nikki. She's not going to win. It's the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. There you go. Former President Donald Trump winning the New Hampshire Republican primary yesterday, as most people were expecting. However, he didn't win it with the margin that he was expected to win it. And we'll break it down for you a little bit later. Dr. Paul Kengor is going to be running running by. He's going to be stopping by. I hope he doesn't run by, right? I hope he hangs out. <laughs> we're going to talk to him. He wrote an article today. He says uh, the headline for his article in The Spectator was, We've got a ball game. It's going to be an interesting Conversation. I I thought Trump would have won a, a little bit more. Seems Haley uh, Nikki Haley's gaining some some traction. Apparently, she picked up a lot of votes for people who are going to vote for Ron DeSantis, even though DeSantis endorsed Trump. And again, New Hampshire has a lot of independent voters there. So whether this is a reflective of South Carolina and a lot of the other places that uh, the battle will next move to, we will have to see. Hey, I was just listening to Father Simon. Uh, on the other air, I was driving into the studio this morning. I heard a little bit of Patrick. Somebody called in and says, hey, is it a sin to vote for a Democrat, right? And then I heard um, Father Simon being asked a tough question by a, I think it's a father whose son worked for the Democratic National uh, Convention. I, I don't really intend to talk a whole lot about this, but it was just something I've been thinking about. The the uh, The Catholic Church, it holds a very firm and really an unequivocal stance on abortion, uh, abortion, as you know, right, it is a grave moral evil. Why? Because it involves the deliberate termination of an unborn life, the murder of a child, which the church teaches is sacred for the moment of conception through natural death. And, you know, I, I would really recommend you pick up a catechism of the Catholic Church. Uh, you have your Bible and your catechism. To me, they're the most important books you can have in your spiritual library. I tend to also like the Diary of, of St. Faustina. There's a bunch of others I have, but the Catechism and the Bible, two absolute musts for your spiritual library. And if you go to the Catechism entry, it's Catechism 2270, 2275, it will articulate this position. And what it says is that you as a Catholic have a, a duty to protect, we all do, whether you're Catholic or not, to protect and, and, and nurture life from its beginning to its natural end. And regarding somebody who holds a leadership position in an organization that advocates positions that are contrary to the church's teaching, including abortion, and I, I, I don't want to get too political on the issue. I mean, the Democrats and Republicans definitely have different positions, but they also have things across the aisle. But those intrinsic evils, those are the ones we got to really be careful with. And, you know, a very blatant intrinsic evil is abortion. And the you cannot cooperate with evil or in evil. Uh, you know, the Catholic Catholic moral theology distinguishes between what they call formal cooperation, sharing the intention for that wrongful act, and then material cooperation. That's playing a, uh, a part in the act without sharing in the intent. And you know, the former always is always considered morally wrong. The latter well, might be permissible under certain conditions. And that's what Father Simon was saying. You know, it depends what this guy's intent is. Does, does he want to promote abortion? Is he against it? Where is he on this whole thing? Does he think he can change the party? Um, 
you know, for a Catholic in a major, major leadership position in a Democratic National Convention, I think you really need to do some personal inventory. Now, whether you're there to change the party, well, God bless you if you can. Um, you cannot support a cause to that ad advocates abortion. You just can't. Or any moral, you know, equivalent to, to that. Um, so, you know, a couple things that play a role in this, the nature of the involvement, whether the individual's role is directly involved in advocating for these policies that promoted, if you are, um, that would constitute formal cooperation and whether their work is sufficiently removed from the policies. Well, then maybe you're dealing with material cooperation, right? But he holds a major position, right? It's not like the guy sweeps the floor for the DNC, Right. This guy holds a major position. So I'm assuming he holds a major position when it comes to policy. So uh, does the person, as Father Simon was saying, personally oppose abortion and seek to minimize and counteract the promotion of abortion? I don't know how you can do that if you are a major player in the Democratic Party. I don't know how you can hold your job. They don't want you there. So, you know. What do you do as a parent? Um, I would talk to my son, and I would open that catechism, and I would talk to him. Uh, I would encourage my son; he's going to keep his position, not to support or advocate for any of those intrinsic evils, and maybe to be a witness for life. You want to hold your job, then maybe try to change the party. Right? The church emphasizes the importance of a well-formed conscience. How do you get a well-formed conscience? It's got to be guided by the teaching of the church, by prayer, by reflection, by discernment of the right course of actions. And, and the, the, you know, really the key question, this is just my final thought on it, um, is whether or not you have to ask yourself, can I remain in this role without formally cooperating in the promotion of policies that the church teaches are morally wrong? That's a big, big question. So um, pray a lot. That's what I would say. But Father Simon, thank you for your, for your insight on that. And that was a, a very compelling call that I heard uh, just a few moments ago. So we'll talk a little bit about it. I do want to talk about the age of the president too. And I do want to talk a little bit more about the, um, we got a lot of news to get to, um, uh, you know, back to New Hampshire for a minute. And then, then, then let's talk. And, and I, and I want your take too on, you know, president Biden and president Trump. I mean, I, people get mad at me for not talking more about Nikki Haley. I, I don't see Nikki Haley ultimately winning the nomination, right? I mean, she could, and God bless her if she does. Well, that totally changes the equation. But let's assume, as every expert is saying, it's going to be a Trump-Biden rematch. Um, are these guys too old? Um, where do they stand on policy? Where do they stand on leadership? Where are you? Um, Trump ended up with about 55% of the vote last night. Haley got a little more than 43%, which is almost, you know, it's about seven points more than the real clear politics average thought she was going to get. So she did better than expectations, right? She did a lot better th than that. Uh, not surprisingly, President Joe Biden won the Democratic Party, even though that vote's not really going to count. He, they had a huge writing campaign for him and Actually, he did pretty well, and it did better than he did when he actually was was in the race. If you missed the, the New Hampshire primary yesterday, you want a quick overview, let me share this with you. Here you go. Former President Donald Trump has won the New Hampshire Republican primary. Uh, the AP made that call as polls closed. Um, after we saw uh, early returns that confirmed the AP vote cast survey, which showed him with an insurmountable lead in the state. Uh, former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley will finish second uh, behind uh, the former president. Uh, and she was performing well in only the highly Democratic areas of the state. 
in other parts of the state, in all geographic regions and other types of uh, political leanings, uh, the former president was winning those areas, which led us to make this call. On the Democratic side, there was actually kind of an unusual circumstance in which uh, the sitting president, Joe Biden, is actually running as a write-in candidate. We were able to make the call that, yes, he in fact has won uh, the New Hampshire primary uh, in an unusual situation where we were able to make this call based off of uh, AP VoteCast, which showed that the majority, an overwhelming majority of voters were going to cast a write-in ballot, and nearly all of those voters were going to vote for Biden. The candidates that were actually on the ballot, uh, Marianne Williamson and Dean Phillips, were not going to come anywhere close. Dean Phillips. Yeah, that's another one. I, are you familiar with that name at all? Um, I, he's a Minnesota congressperson, a congressman, I should say. Um, he took about 20% of the vote, and that's not a, really a bad showing for a guy who hardly has any name recognition at all. But Fox News reported that he showed up at a Trump rally, and he was treated warmly by the people who were there. So kind of interesting how that, that shook out. Nikki Haley says she's not done. I mean, here's part of the, the deal. There's some Democratic money that's flowing into her campaign. Uh, boy, they would love to see Haley uh, perhaps, you know, take away from 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 by, uh, from Trump. Uh, but fundamentally, uh, what is the likelihood she's going to get there? She is a fighter. She calls herself a scrapper. Here's what she had to say uh, last night. Listen. At one point in this campaign, there were 14 of us running. And we were at 2% in the polls. Well, I'm a fighter. And I'm scrappy. And now we're the last one standing next to Donald Trump. South Carolina voters don't want a coronation. They want an election. There you go. We'll see how it works out. I heard one pundit make an interesting observation. I, I thought, you know, it's going to ultimately come down to two parties. Let's get down to po policy and let's see how the campaign unfolds. But somebody said the more that Haley stays in the race, the better it actually is, believe it or not, for Donald Trump, because he has an opportunity to really articulate uh, his positions. Right. Once once it goes down, suddenly the 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 platform, the news coverage, everything else begins to to change. But uh, yeah, I was wondering, I was watching today a live feed of um, the uh, UAW, the president would address the United Auto Workers there. They've endorsed him, by the way, the United Auto Workers uh, have endorsed uh, President Joe Biden. And I'd like your take on this. I mean, I don't know how you feel uh, about Trump or how you feel about Biden. Would you rather see a Nikki Haley? Would you rather see somebody else running for the Democrat Party? Who that is, I don't know. Um, but what about the age of our presidential candidates as well. Uh, how old is too old for the presidency? You know, there's an argument that if you have an older candidate, and this is what Joe Biden is using, it was a clever twist. I mean, his, his, his campaign team was pretty smart. Brings wisdom, right? Brings experience. Yeah, I know there's concerns about vitality, um, but I got wisdom, right? It's true. I, you know, the, the brain, the, you know, the plasticity of the brain doesn't diminish. You still make new neural pathways. So maybe, you know, I'm not worried about cognitive decline or should we? As you get older, we know that sometimes we see cognitive decline. Is the president that way? Um, president Biden and Trump, I mean, Trump recently took some heat for, I think he called Nikki Haley, Nancy Pelosi. And then, of course, President Biden 
is known for his for his gaffes. Um, here's a little bit of um, what he recently had to say, and it raises questions about about his cognitive capabilities. I'm not here to diminish him. I'm going to throw this out. I want your take on, on both these candidates, but here's a little bit of President Biden. Appreciate it very much. I also want to mention Congressman Deborah Ross. Where's Deborah? This year, I just had my picture taken with her. That's probably why she left. No, all kidding to stop. Anyway, you, you can, oh, she couldn't be here, actually. That's not true. I got it mixed up. And she has, you know, she fights very hard for the people of this district, and she's up in Washington right now. Yeah, so that, that was a scene where, you know, he's on at a podium, the president, he calls up somebody who's in there, insists that he just took a photo with her, and then he's like, oh, oh wait a minute, that's right. Uh, all right, maybe I'll give him a pass on that. Maybe you forgot. Maybe you had a busy day. I don't know when that photo was taken, right? Um, but here's a clip from yesterday. Listen to this. Here's something else that was said. We'll teach Donald Trump an, a valuable lesson. Don't mess with the women in America unless you want to get the benefit. So... <laughs> Yeah, and again, Trump misspeaks too. I speak for a living, right? I'm on the air three hours a day every day. I misspeak all the time. Right? And thank God for Maggie and for my call screener, Patrick Aylock, because I might say, you know, Senator so-and-so said this, and in my headset, I'll say, it's Congressman. Oh, you're right. Or uh, it might miss, I, I spoke, misspoke something last week. I forget what I said. Oh, you know, I was thinking of Emmanuel Macron, who's the president of France. And for some reason, I had in my mind, an equivalence with Trudeau, who is uh, Canada, right? And it's like, but I think I called him Trudeau as a, or whatever. You know, the brain wiring got across. So I do want to give uh, these guys a little bit of a pass. But how old's too old? I think it's a question that is not just about a number, right? But about their ability to govern. Uh, the minimum age to be president, 35 years old. Right? That was set by our founding fathers, who themselves were a mix of these young bucks and seasoned statesmen. But today, as uh, you know, medical advancements push the boundaries, uh, what we consider old age as life expectancy now gets a little bit longer. We find ourselves wrestling, I think, with that question. Should there be a maximum age limit for the president uh, like there is a minimum age limit to get in? I don't know. It's a, it's a tough balance. I, I got to be honest with you, I, I grapple with it a little bit. With, with age comes wisdom, you know, the long view of history, with a maturity, with the steadiness of hand you know, that can only be forged, I think, with time. On the other hand, you've got the demands of the presidency. I, look, I do a radio show and I'm exhausted at the end of the day, right? I can't imagine the schedule these guys keep. It's a 24-7 job. Up early to bed late requires intellectual vigor. Physical stamina, mental acuity, right? There are pressures, decisions that land on your desk, the oval desk. And it's not just for the individual sitting behind it, but you represent your decisions affect the, the nation, the people that have elected you. So how do you feel about it? You know, I, I think it's as varied as the American electorate. I think people are very divided. Some see old age as a non-issue. You know, I think experience and perspective has a lot of merit. Others... Wonder if a candidate might not serve out their term due to health uh, conditions, right? Uh, who will take over? I mean, let's say Joe Biden is reelected. Are you really in in respect? By the way, the, the average life expectancy for a man, Joe Biden has already exceeded. If he was to die while in office, you're basically voting for the next president. The same for, for Trump, right? So uh, how does that factor into your decision? So maybe the real question we should be asking is not just about the number of years a candidate has lived. 
but about their ability to inspire, to lead, uh, to to govern, right? Leadership is not just about age, not just about energy, but I think it's about vision, about the ability to connect and mobilize the American people. We've seen the bad fruit of policy already, right? So we need to put into office well-formed men and women. Let me take a few calls. You can sound off, 888-914-9149. Christopher is in Orlando, Florida. Hi, Christopher. Hey, how are you? I'm well. Thanks for calling. Good. Yeah, you know, I I, I use an example because it's it's a very uh, one, it's one that's very close to my heart, mm-hmm. and that is, I had two grandmothers, one of whom is actually still alive. Um, one lived to age 95; the other is currently 95. Wow. And my one grandmother, wonderful woman, but unfortunately, she she succumbed to the 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 horror horrible out of dementia. And so as her years went on, you, you know, she unfortunately really lost many steps and, uh, and certainly by the end really was, you know, a a shadow of her former self when it came to her mental capacity. My other grandmother is 95 right now and she is sharp as a tack and there is nothing you can get by her. And candidly, uh, at the age of 95, she could run circles around our current president. And that's not, that's simply a, a, an objective statement based on conversations I have with her all the time versus what I see uh, in news reports and, you know, co- television coverage of the way that our current re- uh, president is responding. And, and just unfortunately, the, the mental faculties that I, I see diminishing on a daily basis. And you can see it in, in video from where he was even a couple of years ago to where he is now. There's a very real decline taking place. And then conversely, when you, you know, watch video of President Trump, even though their age really is very similar, it's night and day, right? There is a cognitive uh, ability and, and, uh, you know, awareness that is just leaps and bounds ahead. And it's not a number. It's not about age. It's about where, where your mind is. Yeah, I think it's a great point, Christopher. I, my wife uh, has an aunt who is, I think, 93 years old. This woman is so sharp, it is crazy, right? I, it's, it's insane. And I know other 78-year-olds, right, or 70-some who aren't half as uh, mentally sharp as this woman is. I think it's a great point that, that you bring up, and I think that's a criteria. How do you feel about, oh, I, I, one, an age limit, but maybe two? I mean, some people are even calling for, after a certain age, certain mental acuity tests. How do you feel about that? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's an interesting concept and I I hate the idea of of limiting someone because of their age yeah. in a vacuum, I right? Agree. Because I agree. again, uh, you know, I think my grandma could be president and she'd be just <laughs> fine. Um I, I don't think it. she's interested in uh, you know, going into politics at this point, but it it certainly wouldn't be because of the number. And yeah. and I don't think people should be disqualified simply because of that. I think there becomes a point where to your point, not only mentally, but just physically, the demands of that job become too great for anyone, you know, who isn't uh, very uh, virile and uh, ready for that that level of, uh, you know, having that stamina. Um, So I I don't think I would necessarily be in favor of a, uh, you know, a constitutional amendment that says, uh, once you hit 90, sorry, game's over. Um, Not that I I imagine too many 90-year-olds are going to be signing up, but I I got you. I think it truly is. Yeah. 
I'm with you, Chris. I think you, I think you draw a good point. If you just took the two candidates uh, side by side and and viewed stamina, uh, mental acuity, I mean, yeah, you can be the same age, but you do function differently. Certain people, and it's for a number of reasons, as you point out, you know, physical challenges, that, that's common, you know, for, for age. It, it d- diminishes metabolism, hormonal changes. There's a natural decline in muscle mass as you get older. But, uh, you know, normal aging is part of the aging process. Some cognitive abilities tend to decline, uh, memory perhaps, or speed of processing, but not always. I mean, the brain can retain a degree of plasticity throughout life, as I was saying, meaning it can form new connections and pathways. And, you know, certain people just function better. I mean, age is relative. You know, age-related decline uh, affects each of us differently. Chris, you may be far sharper than me, you know, when we turn 80 years old, right? I mean, who knows? Or I may be as sharp as your grandmother when I'm 95. You know, who knows? I think that's what needs to be to be evaluated. But individually, some people, I think, experience significant decline and reduced energy. Others remain sharp and vigorous. And that's, that's tough. I think as a voter something we need to look at and also evaluate. I'm grateful for your call. I, I really am. Uh, Joanna is listening in Highland, New York. It's the Hudson area. Hi, Joanna. Hi, Drew. I just wanted to make a couple of comments about the upcoming presidential election. I really am not sure who. I mean, I definitely am not mm-hmm. going to vote for Biden, but I really don't like Trump. I did vote for Trump in the past. I don't like some of the things he's done since the beginning of his presidency and i I honestly i'm having a lot of trouble even wondering if i'm going to vote this election he's not completely pro-life he's not he's he has he's for lgbtq agendas um and he i don't think he's going to be uniting the united states he's a little bit more divisive than uniting so I don't know what I'm going to do, and yeah. I, I'm going to have to research it. Yeah, and I can't tell you who to vote for. I can only tell you, um, look at those those moral issues that are critical. How does the candidate advance the common good? Where do they stand when it comes to intrinsic evils? Do they promote and advance um, the redefinition of marriage? Uh, where are they on embryonic stem cell research? Where are they on life? Where are they on so many of these critical issues? And then compare a history. If it comes down to a bump, uh, Biden-Trump election, we got four years from each candidate to look at. Um, when it came to Trump, where was he on the life issue compared to Biden? Um, where was he when it came to war? I mean, Trump, of course, is one of the only presidents in, in recent history not to have us in war in the past 30 years. Um, there are certain issues that you may want to evaluate. Where is Biden on the economy versus Trump? I mean, look at those things and then, you know, evaluate. But at the top of the list has got to be the moral issues. Then you can come down to the economic and the social and some of those other things to, to filter it out. Um, I'm not an advocate of not voting. Uh, that's my personal take on this. A lot of people say, oh, I'm just going to sit this one out. Um, I, I think we do a disservice. We squander a great privilege and a right that we have. I, I would certainly vote to mitigate the candidate that's going to do the greatest harm. So evaluate who you think will do more damage. If you, if you don't like both candidates, right, maybe they're both pro, pro-abortion. Well, what candidate will advance the, the common good in the greatest fashion? Vote for them. Try to limit evil if you can. I only have a minute or two left, so let me just grab another call here. Rocco's in Bronx, New York. Rocco, good afternoon. Hi, I do. Thank you for taking my call. You got it. Yeah, I just wanted to say that uh, I listen to. I'm a Trump supporter. Okay. And uh, for that last call, I mean, you, she got a vote, and uh, Trump is way better than Biden. 
we have to vote for him. But I don't know how to say that he opens his mouth too much. Um, that's the only thing I'm against is I wish he would be quiet sometimes. They were yeah. because when I turned the channel on, they were like they were they hate him and other and, and, and on the left. They really do. And I and I just keep praying that he's in rather than Biden. We need somebody in there. Because he's the strongest president. Well, Rocco, I think uh, the president's mouth is his greatest detriment. Uh, former President Biden, or Trump, I should say. I mean, the stuff that comes out of his mouth. I mean, he acts like a child sometimes, the way he gives people monikers and names and mocks and and derides. I, I, I am not a fan of, of that. And, and even his delivery is a little bit weird sometimes on these acceptance speeches and things that he does. But, you know, I guess people love that about him. Some do, some don't. But, boy, those who don't like him, I think it just drives them crazy so anyway look we'll talk much more about the election in the days ahead dr paul kangor is stopping by it's not over he claims that we've got a ball game nikki haley may be getting some traction your choice might be president biden and nikki haley right you don't know who knows what's going to happen but we'll break that down for you a little bit later and in the months ahead we'll talk about these critical issues how do you as a catholic vote you know what are the key moral issues what are intrinsic evils i mean we can take a look at all those uh, other issues. Uh, if you want to join me, feel free to do that. 888-914-9149. Dr. Uh, Jeff Gardner, who's a friend of mine, is going to be stopping by. I worked with him for, for years, and um, he, he wrote a great article recently on muscular Christianity, you know? Um, and I thought we'd take a look at this. We, we live in a time right now where there is war, disease, and economic instability, and it's really easy to go down this pathway of doom and gloom, right? You got political parties, people are going to be consumed by politics, there's going to be partisanship and divide. How do we get through all that, right? How do we how do we kind of put it in the rearview mirror, and how do we apply our Christian principles in a time of great turmoil? It'll be a great conversation. I always enjoy hanging out with him, so I hope you'll stay with me. I'm going to be back in just a minute. Don't go anywhere. Your news, the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Your news now. Wow, I can't even imagine the last time I heard that. The old village people there, huh? Maggie bumping, uh, busting out an old bumper. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Macho Man, you know, it's a great bumper for what we're about to talk about. My my next guest um, is uh, a friend. He's been, uh, you know, I, I've known him when I began at Relevant Radio, believe it or not, almost 20 years ago. Uh, he's a he's a doctor. He's a very eloquent writer. He's a professor. He's a he's a interesting character he uh <laughs> he's traveled the world he teaches a course in media and culture and government at regent university and he just wrote an article and by the way if you want to check him out jeffgardner.online is the website but he, he wrote an article that talks about this muscular christianity right there's a great deal as i was saying right before he came on of anxiety in our world a lot of confusion, a lot of partisanship. There's threats of war, economy. We can go through the headlines. Easy to get overwhelmed by anxiety. We see that going through the roof too, right? Anxiety levels way, way. Uh, it's an epidemic of them. And experts say that 27% of Americans right now have anxiety. You know, it's, it's more than one out of four, almost one out of three. And if you look at young adults between 18 and 29, those are carefree years. I remember those years, right? You know what's so shocking? Anxiety rates are at 42%, almost one out of two. 
It's crazy. Two out of five kids have uh, have anxiety. I, and, and, and we've talked about it before. We think there's a connection to tablets and computers and a whole bunch of other devices. But um, we are having an issue with anxiety uh, today. And the way we deal with it as a society really perhaps is wrong. Um, you know, I know a lot of people try to self-medicate. They use alcohol and, and drugs. Uh, there's a lot of medications that are out there. And if they help, then then great. Um, if you're being prescribed that. Uh, but there might be some other approaches to dealing with this. And I want to get into some of those with you today. Um, there, there's a writer that has called this the comfort crisis. In, in 2021, there was a book called The Comfort Crisis by a guy named Michael uh, Easter. And he explored how during a 33-day Arctic caribou hunt, he realized how dependent he'd become on material distractions and avoidance behavior to cope with everything from work pressures to anxiety over money, politics, even to his personal relationship. And I, I don't know about you, um, I, I, I don't plan on going on an Arctic caribou hunt. Sounds like fun, but... You know, we, I think I have a hard enough time getting out of bed, never mind traveling thousands of miles into the cold without the comfort of a warm shower. Um, yet it was transforming for him. It was transforming. Uh, there's an article out, and we're going to link over it. You can find it at the stream. It's written by Dr. Um, Dr. Jeff Gardner, and he joins me right now. It's called Our Comfort Crisis, The Lack of Struggle is Real. And he's got some strategies that might help you deal with some of this anxiety and uh, so much of the fear and consternation you might be experiencing right now. Doctor, good to have you back. Good afternoon. Good to be here, Drew. And I want everyone to know right out of the gate, I had nothing to do with that bumper music. So <laughs> let's just clear the deck. <laughs> I thought that was uh, your, uh, your your marriage song. I thought that was your wedding song. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, uh, on on the, the the really good chance my wife is listening, absolutely not. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding with you. <laughs> you know, uh, Doc, let's let's talk about. Well, first of all, great job on your article. I appreciate it. You and I were talking off air just about ice baths. Um, I, I, some of the things you point out in this article, I really hope people will get it and and read it because I know anxiety right now in the culture is a, an epidemic. Not only the that younger demo I shared, but everyone seems to be facing. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, greater fears and, and anxiety. What are you seeing? Why is an anxiety, in your opinion, increased? And maybe let's go through some of those things that we can do to, other than just take medication. I don't want to downplay that because if it helps, you know, please follow your physician's advice. But I think there are other things that people may overlook that could really change their, their, their future. So very true. Well, there, there, there are two factors. One is what we aren't doing, and then the other is what, what we are and the first one is, you know, we we are we are just not thinking enough about how, and and I, I like to use this term, that we really have to inoculate ourselves against stress. You know, as as people, we're we're built for stress. We, I mean, even even the process of being born, for both, you know, mother and baby, is very stressful. So we're designed for stress, and we need to inoculate ourselves. You know, and as Christians, we, we have a leg up yeah. on everybody else, because if you, it, the, the scriptures are just full from front to back, especially the letters from Paul about how to, uh, you know, endure tough times and inoculate ourselves. That's the first thing that we're not doing. And then secondly, culturally, and, you know, I, I don't like the term it's being done to us because, mm -hmm. you know, everybody participates, but we're in a culture in which Fear is is regularly being used to scare the bejeebies out of us mm -hmm. 
to, to get us to do things, whether it's to buy this or to, to I mean, I'll, I'll ask the audience, how many times, you think about it, in the last month, week, or maybe even today, have you gotten a text from some organization with, with a flashing red light on it saying, quick, you know, we need you to take immediate action because. So we are constantly being barraged with these messages of fear. And we have to remember, as Christians, there's a larger plan here. Everything does not depend on us. There is a design. This is all going somewhere. And you know what? <clears throat> you don't have to know everything all the time. I mean, you simply can't. To understand, to say, look, you know, God, I'm given, I understand. This is in your hands. There's a plan here. And then what we have to do is to inoculate ourselves against this stress. So when it actually does come up, because I, you know, as I say in the article, yeah. I'm not saying don't pay attention to the news and, and, you know, when the, when the engine light is blinking on the dashboard of your life. Okay. Right. okay. Yeah. You know, red alert. Um, but how do we prepare to get ourselves ready for that? I, you know, talking about the letters of Paul, like in one of his letters to the, the people in the city of Corinth, he says, God is, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Yeah. Well, now that raises the question, what can you bear? What, do you, what are you prepared for? And this is something that we can do right now, is, is get better at being ready to bear whatever it is. Because it's going to come. I don't know what it is, yeah, but, it, but it will be here. Yeah, that's really true. Um, you highlight in, in your article, maybe we can go through a few of these, uh, five things that if they are practiced regularly, you say you can guarantee they're going to clear the mind, settle the spirit, and steady one's resolve to tackle whatever might come your way. Um, what's the top of your list? Prayer. Prayer is at the top of the list. We, 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 you know, we need to do this regularly. Now I, uh, you know, and, and that can work in a lot of different forms for me, that's reading the scriptures every day. And I read them in Latin just, you know, I mean, if, if, Hey folks, if you haven't figured it out, I'm, I'm, I'm a little weird. Um, but <laughs> reading them in a foreign language <laughs> helps me read deeper meaning of the text. And so prayer is at the top of the list because this will help calm you down. Um, you know, if that's the only thing that you did and, and you can't not think of anything, okay. You know, get that out of your mind. It's not clearing the mind. It's focusing the mind. It's learning to block out the distractions. And I can't think of a better way to a better place to focus, to block everything out than on God because that's we're just hardwired that way top of the list yeah you know in on that point though because you said something that really resonates with me in my own my own prayer life um not only do we petition i think everybody asks god for things but uh you you point out that praising and enduring god daily really is the key and i just find that such a joyful way to pray i love praying in thanksgiving praying in in praise um just giving gratitude to God for all these giving, even the crosses of, of life. I, I'm grateful for, and knowing that not everything depends on, on me, but God's in control uh, in, in all of it. Praise is such a big thing. I mean, most people, when they face a difficult time, they've got anxiety, the finances are bad, or they're worried about the kids or whatever it is, right? Yeah. The health's no good. 
Lord, please, please. They're constantly petitioning right. and begging. Praise really is an important thing. I, I, I appreciate you writing that. It's, is that something that's part of your own prayer life as well? Uh, I, absolutely. You know, I, I don't, for people that don't know a lot about me, I came to the Christian faith rather late in life. I was raised as a Mormon, spent a lot of time as an atheist, sort of fumbling around. And, and I quite literally thank God every day for the grace that was given to me that secured my conversion. And so I, you know, and I've endured bad health and we've had problems with kids and finances and all of the bit, yeah. uh, the, everything, you know, I've not lived a charmed life, <laughs> but as long as I can draw breath, Amen. um, then I, I know through persistence and strength and patience that, that I can get through whatever it is that I'm dealing with. So absolutely, absolutely. Top of the list and on top of the list of lists, and, you know, I understand this. this is a human weakness that we, we, we tend to look at God as like a vending machine. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, it's, a, it's uh, that's not a criticism of how we approach God, that, but it, that, that really diminishes God. There's just so much more there than, well, I put these prayers in, you know, where's, where's my Snickers yeah. bar coming out? Yeah. There's just so much more in the richness and the return that we get. So prayer, top of the list. Yeah, there's something I want to read. Um, I, I have not read it, and, and I when I was going through um, the piece you put in the stream, and, and if you're just joining us, I'm speaking today with Dr. Jar- Jeff Gardner, and he wrote, a, I think, an interesting piece. This might help you if you're going through times of uncertainty or difficulty or anxiety. The article is called Our Comfort Crisis, The Lack of of struggle is real, and we'll link over to it, but you can certainly find it there at the stream as well. Um, you mentioned a book, and you talk about um, a book called Man's Search for Meaning, and uh, yep. I, I guess uh, it's uh, about uh, a man, I guess, while being held in a Nazi death camp, observed that those who focused on personal choice of connecting to God's plan and his greater meaning for life survived more often than those who didn't. Well, what's behind yep. that? You know, that is that book by Viktor Frankl. And there, if you go to the article in the stream, I put a link to, I think, the wiki entry for it. Cool. That is such a powerful story. Now, he, 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 he is, uh, I believe he's dead now. He's Jewish, but very faithful to his faith. And um, he was a practicing psychiatrist in Vienna, had a chance to get out before the Germans took over the country and the city. Um, and he came home from the day that the riot occurred in Vienna when the, the, the Nazis burned down the synagogue and he had a chance to get out, but he only had a visa for himself, but not his parents. And he came home and on the, the dining room table was, it was a piece of the rubble from the synagogue. And he asked his father, he said, what is that? And he said, that's all that's left. And it was a fragment of one letter from the commandment, honor thy father, honor thy father and mother. Wow. And he knew that was it. He couldn't leave the country. He tore up his visa. He, his Mother, father, wife were all swept up off to the death camps. They died. But he realized, and he was a, he was a practicing psychiatrist. He realized that those people who developed a, what is this? What am I here for? Mm -hmm. Had the capacity to endure the question of why is this happening? And he's very frank. This is, you know, some people who well, I don't want to read a book about something so difficult as the Holocaust. Yeah, right. It's 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 not a book about the brutality of those who fell so far from God, but it is, rather is a book about those who rose up towards God despite the brutality. And it is a it is it's short. It is a terrific 
terrific book that will help yeah. really focus us, focus us in our prayer yeah. on being grateful and purpose and God-centered. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Victor Frankl, he developed an entire therapy for anxious patients. And yeah. uh, it's grounded in that reality. If you are struggling with anxiety, you may want to check uh, the book out. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. My guest today, Dr. Jeff Gardner. I need to take a short pause. If you are struggling, today's your day. Um, we've got a few other tips for you. Prayer, of course, at the top of the list. But there's a few others you may not have thought of. Stay with me. I'll share those with you when we return. The hope lives here. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Pray, hope, and don't worry. This is the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. The Chaplet of Divine Mercy, coming up next. Yeah, we're about 10 minutes away from that. Love to pray with you course for you if there's anything you need uh some extra intercession for feel free to to join us you can always send maggie that prayer intention too she'll give voice to it on twitter or at x i should say and that is at drew mariani show one day i'll stop saying that at <laughs> at drew mariani show just call it x right send it over there and uh just a quick heads up for you too if you are on twitter maggie just posted uh, my guest today dr jeff gardner's article you'll find it also at the stream, it's a good read. You know, we, we were talking politics in the very beginning of this segment. And of course, we deal with so many different issues here in the show. Life is a struggle and life is a test and life is filled with challenges and obstacles. And with those challenges and, and obstacles, I, often comes a very human reaction to it, a, a rise in anxiety and even fear. He wrote a piece on how to overcome those struggles. And of course, the top of the list uh, for Dr. Gardner was was prayer, and there's no doubt about it. That is of paramount importance. But he has five others, four others, uh, strategies here as well. And, um, you know, Doctor, I, I know you talk about exercise. I want to talk about that. And I also want to talk about fasting because that's something that I've been into. But, but take me through a few more of your points. Yeah, so, you know, and, and this is, <clears throat> I have to tell you, when I, when, I, when I came to the Catholic faith, at first, I, I was a little confused. I remember the first mass I attended when, and there was all of this standing up and sitting down and kneeling down and standing up. And I thought, is this mass or, or, or an aerobics class? What am I doing in here? <laughs> um, but what I, what I realized that our faith has been teaching us over the centuries so is there is an inextricable connection between our body and our soul that, that, that we are, we are, you know, embodied and, and ensouled in our body. So you have to take care of the one as you take care of the other. So we need to exercise. And, and in my article, I say, you know, do it several times a week and do it hard because the studies show we need about 150 minutes through the week of moderate exercise to get the benefits we need. But if you do it hard, so you're out of breath and you're sweating, you cut that time in half. You only need like 75. So if, if adding that time adds stress to what is a stressful schedule, okay. You know, it takes about as long to do, um, a, you know, a mediocre workout as it does to do a really hard one. So do it hard. Number three, fast. Even if you can, if, if, if you only do it in short bursts, and, and yes, if you have a medical condition, you know, speak to your doctor. But even just put the food away for 12 hours, 16 hours. Now, I, I credit my wife for this. She's often said to our children, don't eat your feelings. And that is that is something that, that, that you know, I think if I, if I should put my finger on a way to describe it, that is exactly what's going on. 
We're responding to our emotions through food. And we need to be aware of that and start to pull that apart. You know, food is, it's, I love food. I love to cook. It's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, that we have to eat, I think is a great gift from God. I don't think as a, as a, some sort of a drudgery at all. It's, it's very pleasurable. These are, you know, God gives us pleasure in things that are good for us. Well, let's get it back to where it's good. Number four, we've got to put the media away. Before we get to media, let, let me just go back to the yeah, fasting issue because I, I, I recently have gotten into it. I struggled with it for a long time. I know you had done a lot of intermittent fasting. I know you lost some weight, and it was something that you were able to really get. And for a long time, I went back and forth on it. I used to be able to fast with great ease, and then it became a struggle. And I thought, well, maybe that's a spiritual grace. Maybe it's hard for a reason because it'll become more meritorious. But recently, I've really been able to do it, right? And I've been doing longer-form fasts, you know, 24, 36, 60 hours is the longest one I've done. Wow, fantastic. But, but that was a super long one. I've only done that once. I should try to do it again. But it has been really liberating, not not only physically, right? But but even when it comes to um, everything from clarity of thought, and I, I spoke yesterday to a doctor about how important sleep is in helping you avoid sin. I think fasting does the same thing; it gives you greater control over the mind, over the heart, over all sorts of things. But you pointed out as well that there was a study done in 2021 that even a short term fast, something as simple as maybe 12 hours, right, can yeah. reduce anxiety yeah. and depression. I, I, yeah. That's fantastic because how many people are depressed today? How many people are suffering anxiety? You know, twelve hours is not a hard fast. You know, and and here's something really interesting: we're 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 finding out how much we don't know that there is there. We know there's a tremendous connection from what goes on in our digestive system, yep. in our in our gut, and our brain. There, there's a there's a very powerful neuro connection between the two. And there's now emerging evidence that imbalancing in yeah. uh, gut bacteria yeah. can affect our brains, can, can drive depression. And so, okay, you know, there's a lot that they don't know about the relationship, but that they know there is a relationship. If nothing else, if we, if we don't, you know, do anything else, just give your stomach, your digestive system a break for 12 hours. Just, you know, let it calm down. You'll see a benefit from that. If, if that's if that's all you're able to do, and and it's 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 in the science, the evidence is now wide and deep about that. Um, so absolutely, and if you can do it longer, you know, great. And the fourth thing that I have there is, is to put the media yeah. away. I mean, look, it's not going to stop happening yeah. that media, most media, present company excluded, <laughs> is here to <laughs> to make us anxious, yeah. to to give us a sense of urgency and then to make us do something. Yeah. That's the, that's the business model folks. The genie is out of the bottle and he's running loose. And you teach There's, this stuff, right? Yeah. You know, you, you teach communication all the time. I, I've had guests on who talk about uh, the connection between anxiety and cell phone use. I mean, digital use, really. It's not just your cell yeah. phone. And I really think, you, know, you talk about these rising numbers of anxiety amongst 18 to 29-year-olds, you know, when you should be carefree and the whole world's your oyster, right? Um, I really think that that the digital screen has radically transformed uh, the mind as well. Not only the stimuli you get from it and the way it's processed, but the, the media or the information that's coming across it. But this is your area of expertise, so unpack it for us. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, and it's happening on so many levels. On a physical level, you know, we're designed this way. Our, our greatest point of focus is right at the distance of our hands. 
Um, we we are designed by God as as tool users. Now, in, in my my assessment, this is part of what it means to be in the image of God. We're the only creature separate outside of God that is hardwired to take something that we conceive of and then turn it into a physical thing. No other creature does that, and that's the essence of God. You know, we read about in Genesis. It's this, it's this thought, and then this physical creation. Well, that's us. So when you put something in your hand, like your phone or your tablet, your attention is immediately and intense. In fact, I've read studies in which people lo- looking at news stories on a television on the wall and in a phone in their hand assign more importance to the very same story wow. if it's in their hand. So there's a physiological... Wow structure that you, we need to be aware of. <clears throat> and then there is the, the spiritual yeah. structure. You know, we're, we're always worried and we, not a bad thing. Am I doing the right thing? What are people thinking? Well, when, when the thing and people yeah. in your mind turns into the whole planet, yeah. because that's the porter through your phone, oh, that's going to drive you mad. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> don't, don't, don't do that. Yeah. Put the stuff away. Yeah. And, and, you know, in my, in my article, and this is finally how I did it. I just started with a little humility. I said, look, I, I'm not so important that I need to know what's going on everywhere all the time. I'm not the president. I don't carry the nuclear codes. Yeah. People do not have to get a hold of me at <laughs> nine o'clock at night. <laughs> I love it. And you say, just, put it I away, not it for up. a few moments, but you say, put it away for hours. I love that. We only have two minutes. And I want to get to your last yeah. point. And again, you check the article, the stream, Maggie's put it up on our Twitter. It's written by Dr. Gardner. Well worth read. Uh, cold showers or better, you say ice baths. And I say, oh, no, no way. It's one Come I just on. can't do. Come on, Drew. Come on over here. We, you, you can. The, the perhaps the, the, the pull this out together, the culmination of preparing ourselves for stress is to do something that really stresses us. And that's cold because we are hardwired to stay away from it because it, you know, it threatens us and our children and everything else. So yes, consult with your, your physician. Cause there are a couple people, you know, especially with cardiac or pulmonary issues that this is not a good idea right. for, it. but that's a very, very small number. Start with a cold shower. That's just turn off the hot water, 20, 30 seconds, accustom yourself to it. And then if you can take a, take a, a tub, uh, cold, just straight cold water, just throw a couple of buckets of ice and sit in and have a soak for five or 10 minutes. Does it, did I do this three wow. times a week. Is it cold? Yes. Do I want to get out? Yes. Hey, doctor, if people want to follow you on Twitter, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, you can You can catch me on Twitter at at Gardner Rights. All right, check it out. At Gardner Rights. At Gardner Rights. You'll be glad you did. Uh, always good to have you here with us. Thank you so much for making time for us. And keep writing, okay? Look forward to our next conversation. Thank you, Drew. God bless everybody. God bless you. It's Dr. Jeff Gardner. The chaplain of Divine Mercy is straight ahead. Let's pray.